we're looking at Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And as we're kind of turning there, and uh, you can look in your bulletin, your uh, iPhone, your behind me will be projected. It also, I th- you could also have an old-fashioned paper Bible. Anyway, as you're turning there, I just want to say one reason why uh, Hope is doing this series in the summer on the Ten Commandments, as Tripp said earlier. And one reason, many reasons, one of many, is that the Ten Commandments are essential Christian reading. They're essential Christian reading. Uh, what this means is that despite a lot of misunderstandings, uh, for century upon century, Christians have turned to these sections of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus 20, to help navigate life's big questions. Big questions like, what do I do with all of this stack upon stack, verse upon verse of Christian information in the Bible? Or what is love? And what does love look like in practice? Or how do I pray? Or maybe even just the biggest question of all, how do I live? How do I live well? And people have turned to the Ten Commandments for wisdom and guidance on those questions. And so this morning we're looking at the fifth commandment. This is the commandment that begins, honor your father and your mother. And then it kind of ends with a promise or two to, as you go about doing, attempting to do the honoring. But before we get into more what honor means and the promise that goes with it, let's just go ahead and read the actual fifth commandment. Again, I'm reading it from two different places. I'm reading it from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and then Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. So let's read those. This is the English Standard Version translation. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So that's Exodus 20. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses again gives us the Ten Commandments, and this time in slightly different words. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Friends, these are the words of God, and they're more precious than gold, even much fine gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey straight from the honeycomb. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for their sweetness. Thank you for their preciousness. Thank you that you are God who speaks and you're not silent. And I pray that you would help us to take these words um, and apply them to our lives. Would you press them into our hearts and would you change us by them? And Father, um, so many of us uh, with such a big topic, I have so many feelings already. And I pray that you'd be with those feelings, that you would sort them with us, that you'd be alongside us. But also we do pray that you'd be high and you'd be lifted up. And even through this preaching of the word and reading of this word, that you would be more believable and more beautiful to the eyes of our hearts. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Christian psychiatrist and and author Kurt Thompson is fond of saying something that I find more and more true the longer I live and the more people I meet with, and it's this. Kurt Thompson says, we are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us, and we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. We're all born into this world looking for someone looking for us, and we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. Can you feel the truth of that in your bones? Or how about 
in the way that you live, the way that I live, what or who have you found yourself looking for around the corners of life? Whose eyes do you hope to meet the most? Whose gaze are you hoping that you'll catch in life's toughest decisions, in life's most joyful moments? If we're honest, more often than not, we live life looking for our mothers or our fathers or maybe both sets of parents and their gaze on our lives. Even maybe especially if they're hard to please or difficult to be around, or maybe if they just weren't around physically or emotionally. For Marvin Olasky, the editor of World Magazine, he feels the pull of this search for someone looking for him. And Marvin Olasky actually wrote about this. He wrote about it in an article in World Magazine and then in a book. And he writes about feeling this longing most when he watches the movie Field of Dreams. Anyone remember that movie? I'm about to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, but it's in the 80s. I think we can do it uh, together. You had a lot of time (laughs) to watch it. Anyway, last scene, Kevin Costner. Okay, he's built this baseball field in in the cornfields of Iowa. And he's reunited with his dad last scene, and right on the edge of the baseball field, he sort of says, Dad, he asked him a question. You want to have a catch? I'm going to throw the ball back and forth. And Marvin Olasky wrote about how when he watches that scene every single time, he feels just his eyes fill with tears, and the troubles start to fill his heart how he can't help but feel this sort of strange mixture of guilt and anger and desire. So he wrote about that in World Magazine, and then he also wrote about it in a book, and the title of the book is so helpful to understand how he writes about it. The book is called Lament for a Father, The Journey to Understanding and Forgiveness. Lament for a Father, The Journey to Understanding and Forgiveness. And You see, like too many of us, Marvin Olasky's had a very difficult relationship with his father. And it kind of is summed up by the the one and only game of catch that they played when he was a child. So one time they went out into the street and they started to play catch. Marvin had just gotten into baseball and his dad had agreed to come play with him. And then his dad threw a ball, bounced twice before it rolled past Marvin. (laughs) And Marvin said something not the kindest thing, and his dad turned around, walked away, walked up the steps, and went inside. And he never played catch with them ever again. And this failure to engage repeated itself when his father Eli would be asked a question. Marvin as an adult and as a journalist got more and more curious about his dad's life. And he would ask a few questions, then he would sort of sneak in a, a per- more personal question. and. His dad would hear the question and he would get up and he would turn around and he'd leave the room. And it was really only after Eli Olosky died of cancer that Marvin felt the permission and the head over heel pull to use his journalistic background to get some answers about his dad, 
and whose dad really was. Marvin Alasky wanted to answer the questions that made Eli leave the room. Questions like, why did he quit Harvard Graduate School right in the middle? Questions like, why was he so shut down? What happened to make him so emotionally unavailable to himself and to others? His desire was to know his father more and to feel more forgiveness and more gratitude. And really, Marvin Alasky wanted to know and lament for a father a bigger question, which was this. Where was God? Where was God at work in the midst of his growing up? Marvin's growing up. But even more, where was God in the midst of his father Eli and Marvin's mother's growing up? On a hunch, a friend of mine a year or so ago gave me this book. Uh, It was about the time that she had found out that my dad uh, contracted cancer. And she gave me this book, and needless to say, I read it in a day in two sittings. And I was struck again with two related truths. First, our parents have likely harmed us more than anyone else on the planet. Our parents have likely harmed us more than anyone else on the planet. And really, just by sheer math, the sheer amount of time that we've spent together and the shared space, oftentimes at very close quarters that we've had together, and then them being human beings, and then also us being so vulnerable and moldable when we were little. And so this makes passages like the fifth commandment so heavy with difficulty when we read them. It's enough to make us as children feel guilty and angry, and us as parents terrified. But let's also face a second truth, and perhaps aside from spouses who count anniversaries and decades at this point, no one has likely loved us and we them more than our parents. No one has actually or likely loved us more than our parents. All that shared space and that time with our primary caregivers and the wide open hearts of us as children make the fifth commandment so heavy, not just with difficulty, but with possibility. And so it makes some of us actually try to have children, let alone, uh, and again, that can be difficult for us, whether it's singleness or infertility, that can be not so easy. But all these realities don't just make verses uh, like Exodus 20, 12 or Deuteronomy 5, 16, They don't just make them heavy. These realities also make them more necessary than ever to hear and to to sort, to learn from. The fifth commandment is addressed to children, to adult or young adult children. And it's telling them and it's telling us two things, what to do and what to hope for. And the sermon outline this morning is just going to explore those two questions. We're going to ask, how do we relate to our parents And what do we hope for in that relationship? So first, the fifth commandment tells us what to do, give honor where it's due. Second, the fifth commandment tells us what to hope for. We hope for love for who we are and wisdom for how to live. Everyone on the planet, I'm just gonna go out on a limb, 
has a father and a mother, at least biologically. Okay, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure that's true. And so this commandment gives us something to honor your father and your mother. Every one of us has something to do. And we can do this whether mom and dad are still living and in good touch and live close by. And we can also do this if mom and dad or mom or dad aren't living or not in good touch and they live far, far away from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I said this broadly on purpose because I can imagine in this room there are so many complicated and uh, deep and rich family stories that we all have and we're all carrying with us. But we do need to start very generally with what honor means before we can get into the difficult work of practically applying, or at least trying to practically apply what this means uh, in each of our lives. And so let's look at the original, just that one word, honor. In the original language of Exodus and Deuteronomy Hebrew, that word honor, that's translated honor, comes from a Hebrew word that means weight and value. And so honoring means acknowledging someone as weighty, giving them weight, showing them we value them with our thoughts and our words and our deeds. The Old Testament also uses the same word for honor to describe the worship of God. Because of his glory, also translated, it's kavod, it's also translated his weightiness. And so I want to be really clear. The fifth commandment is not saying worship your parents as God. It's not saying that. Okay, although there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting parallel here because it's saying our relationship with our parents is our primary relationship. It's because it's our first relationship, right? Chronologically, these are the first people we meet. These are the first, this is the first relationship we have as human beings. And so this relationship with our parents is where we learn to actually live with other people. And especially with a person who is in charge of us, or we start to live with a person who has authority over us. And therefore, our relationship to our parents becomes a sort of laboratory or testing ground for honoring any sort of authority, whether it's a governor or a boss or a mentor or even God himself. And we sort of see this special relationship with our parents kind of played out in the way that the the Ten Commandments are arranged. If you look at it, Commandments 1 through 4 are directed vertically towards God. We're supposed to honor God. And then you have commandments six through 10 and they're, and they're directed horizontally. We honor our peers or neighbors. But look at the, the, the fifth commandment is sort of a transition commandment. It's saying we honor these people who are people, but we honor them as authorities in our lives. And so think of it like if the first four are vertical and the, the last few are horizontal, the fifth commandment is diagonal. Just think of it that way. <laughs> kind of an in-betweener. And so for, what, for children of whatever age, we get to think about what it means to honor our parents, to have a heart posture that listens before it speaks, that gives weight to our elders' words, and looks for wisdom from their lived experience. But I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna stop there. I'm gonna get a little bit more practical. It's gonna, in fact, I'm gonna try to get very practical. Honoring our parents looks like these three applications. This is three of many I could possibly do. But here are three applications to what it looks like to honor our parents. First, we honor our parents by actually opening up our lives to them. 
We open up our lives to our parents. If you have older and more dependent parents, this could look like taking on the weight of what kind of home they should live in in their last years. This can look like helping make a decision for what would be best in those last years of their life. Is it living with you at home or is it you using your resources and possibly money to help them live in a place that's better for where they are health-wise? Or this could look like calling home on the telephone and calling when you're not rushed and it isn't expected. And maybe even calling and talking to both parents, not just the parent that you like talking to more, which we all have, by the way. Or if deliberation time is needed, that feels like a lot with your parents, maybe just write them a really long email or even better, write them a handwritten note or letter. The point is, is to engage our parents. If they're still living to the degree it's possible, share about your life and ask them questions about their life. Seek their advice and just listen. And this is so important because so many of us, we have two camps when we hear advice from our parents, some of us automatically do it. <laughs> and there's others of us who automatically will never do it. So just maybe we need to just listen and hear it and take it in. And so a difficult question I want us to ask ourselves is this. Do we treat our parents like we want our future or present children to treat us? Do you treat your parents like you want your children to treat you? And this kind of helpfully puts us in their shoes. A second way to honor our parents looks like celebrating what they got right. We celebrate what they got right. This gratitude begins with me remembering that yes, my father, my mother also deeply love me. Most fathers and most mothers deeply love their children. And so I get to imagine that my mom and my dad feel towards me what I felt like when I saw each of my children born in the hospital. At that moment in the labor and delivery room, my small, teeny tiny, Grinch-like heart <laughs> grew three sizes that day. <laughs> when I looked at them, and, and I was amazed. And if you had walked in in that moment and you said, my, any one of my kids was anything but beautiful and precious, I would have punched you right in the nose. Because all, most parents, almost all parents, fiercely and unspeakably love their children. Right from the very beginning. And so gratitude continues by surrendering to Jesus and praying for the Holy Spirit's intervention and by this power, practicing gratitude, right? We get to practice gratitude whether your parents are older or no longer living. We can all try to remember things about and remember things well about our parents. You know, the times and the places where they were generous to us, those special experiences they provided, those thoughtful gifts they gave, the good advice that they gave us maybe more than once that has proved essential to our lives. And so this leads to another difficult question to ask ourselves. Do you think of your parents like you want your future or present children to think of you? Do you think of your parents like you want your children to think of you? And again, this is a place of compassion. 
trying to understand where they were coming from too. But I also realized these are really difficult questions and these two applications stir up so many bad memories for so many of us. And so a third way to honor our parents looks like choosing to forgive them, to forgive the ways that they, they showed a lack of wisdom and a lack of love for us. Forgiveness begins with remembering that yes, Michael Shaban is right. A father is a man who fails every day. And I don't wanna be sexist here. A mother is a woman who fails every day. Okay, let's include everybody in this one. We're all, we're all guilty. In small and in big ways, and I see it in me when I lose it on my kids again and again and again and again. I see this in me when I'm deeply scrolling a news article that no one, I don't even care about, and my kids are just right next to me asking the most important questions <laughs> at those times, like asking me to share about my life or showing me something that they made and they want me to be proud of. And there I am scrolling on my phone. And I, and, I, and I think this is so helpful because forgiveness continues by remembering and to surrender to Jesus and praying for the Holy Spirit's divine intervention. We need his help as we try to remember accurately our own childhoods and maybe even our own present reality with our parents. That it felt like or still feels overprotective, too demanding where there were favorites played, or where it felt cruel, or well it felt careless with me. And then we get to ask for Jesus' forgiveness, to help to forgive, to learn how to live like he lives, to love like Jesus loves, regardless of behavior, and wisely too. How do we balance those? And this memory of childhood hurts is why so many of us get so uncomfortable when this topic of the fifth commandment comes up. We get so nervous when the Bible starts talking about honoring authority, especially authorities other than God, and especially our parents. And I hope you're hearing that there are good, good reasons for us to be a little nervous. So I want you to hear that we all have experiences and that we've learned from our personal histories that makes us skittish. But I also want to acknowledge that there are bad reasons for this discomfort too. There are things that have been ingrained by our cultural moment that we live in that does not believe that authority can be good or loving. So we need to, we need to sort of remember that authority, like parents, can also be good for us. And this is the beginning of our second and last point this morning, which is, what to hope for, love for who we are, and wisdom for how to live. And so, really, I could give you a million analogies for how we need authority to live well and to live long, right? For instance, on a health level, I probably would not have teeth in my mouth right now if my parents had not reminded me more than once, multiple times a day to brush my teeth, (laughs) okay? Or like on a societal level, without traffic laws, We'd all be dead or at least seriously hurt or maimed by now. We need that sort of authority. Or in an orchestra without a a conductor in charge, we only produce a miserable sound. 
right? It's only loud violins competing with louder drums to the glory of self. Or think about a sports team. Without a coach, we only mess up plays and lose games. And so then it becomes loud egos demanding the ball all the time, and so all the glory of the self all the time. And so I love the way that C.S. Lewis applies this to the home front. And it's a, it's a quote in your bulletins. We need authority at a household level too. If the home is to be a place of grace, it must be a place of rules. The alternative to rule is not freedom, but the unconstitutional and often unconscious tyranny of the most selfish member. That's, that's really deep. I'm going to read it again. The, authority, the alternative to rule, to having rules in the home, is not freedom, but the unconstitutional and often, often unconscious tyranny of the most selfish member. It's a helpful reminder for, for me to remember that sometimes my individual personal freedom has consequences. What it can sometimes sadly do. But let me just say it this way with thinking about authority and parents. The, as I get older and the longer I'm a parent, I see more and more the ways that my mom and dad loved me. And I see at the same time, amazingly, they just seem to grow wiser and wiser the older and older I get. <laughs> I love that Mark Twain confession, right? When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. It's awesome. Just imagine how much Bob, my mom and dad have learned. I'm 43 years old now, okay? And I have bought and sold two homes and owned two cars and pay taxes and am responsible to choose my children's schooling every year. They just seem to be larger and larger in their wisdom. And so parents who exercise love, uh, loving and wise authority help us to live well and long. And we see this in the second half of those verses, Exodus 20, 12, and Jeremiah 5, verse 16. That's what they're all about. They're basically saying this, they give us practical advice. They're saying, honor your father and your mother, and then most of the time, this is the outcome, that you will live long and prosper. Okay, we can think of exceptions to the rule, but it's a rule for the, for the most part. But at a heart level, if we're honest about all this, we can recognize that we actually really do want more than this. Our hearts are huge and they're so hungry and we want more wisdom than we actually get from our parents. We all desperately want to, how to, want to know how to live or at least how to live better in our lives. I mean, maybe this is just me confessing my own insecurities and inadequacies, but I, I want to feel less powerless when it comes to all the things I think I should already know how to do in life. I'm just going to confess a few of them so we can all be on the same page. And you can stand over me or with me or under me, whatever you want to do. <laughs> so life can make us feel like a second grader who hasn't studied for a test, <laughs> Right? We don't know, I still don't know, how to fill a W-2 form with the proper withholdings. How many jobs have I had? Don't get it. Or how to read the whole Bible for all it's worth, or how to keep a house, or how to fact check an auto mechanic when he calls with all the repairs that your car needs. I have no idea what he's talking about half the time. Or how, even harder still, how do we sit with our own thoughts in a room? 
I don't know how. Or feel satisfied with my life. Or how do we fall asleep without feeling like you've forgotten to do something important? Or this feeling at night that the day seems anything but done, or at least done well. How do we live with that? And for so many of us, if we're honest, it can feel like mom and dad didn't give us the wisdom we need to live long and to live well. And we're so hungry for more love than we get to from mom and dad. We're all longing to be loved for who we are. We want to be loved for who we are, not for what we've done, for not for what we will become. We want acceptance. We want approval for the real me, not the version of me that's more responsible or better behaved or more athletic or more attractive or quieter or maybe more social and certainly less needy. That's the person that everyone wants. But if we're honest, it sometimes or maybe oftentimes feels like mom and dad preferred that self, that version of me. Or maybe that version of me that is better behaved, the better version of me. Or maybe it was a sibling. And it's this nagging need for more life wisdom and for more unconditioned love that makes honoring our parents so difficult, right? It's so hard to open up our lives. It's so hard to celebrate or forgive individual instances of our parents and their parenting in our childhood and even in our adulthood. But what if this were the case? What if the news were good and true? What if God has once and for all given us the hope beyond even what we feel like we can hope for? What if, to borrow a few words from Robert Capon, what if God loves the last? What if he loves the least, the lost, the little, and even the dead? What if he pours out his wisdom on the and the nobodies of this world? Let me end with a true story that I think we'll get, that I just really can't get over. I, I'd probably tell the story weekly, uh, out loud a lot of the time, but certainly to myself. I remember and want to reimagine this over-the-top generosity. I go to the story. That's what I do. One day, a little girl came outside, and, he, and she saw her older sister and her mother hanging clothes in a clothesline. They lived on a farm. And they're they're hanging all sorts of clothes, but also her dad's clothes. And so she went and grabbed a damp white dress shirt, and she looked around to hang it. And there was all these clotheslines, but she couldn't reach them. She was too little, and she looked around for something to step on to to, to hang it on to the clothesline. She couldn't find anything, and then finally she looks around, and right at her eye level, right where she can reach, is a wheelbarrow. And she takes that dress shirt and she smiles to herself. And she puts it flat on the wheelbarrow handles and flapping gently in the, wee- the breeze. And she thinks, perfect. This will be just right. And she's so excited. She can barely wait for her father to come home. And her father comes home. She grabs him by the hand. And she drags him out to the backyard. She says, don't look at all those clotheslines. Look at this right here. And she drags him right to the wheelbarrow, right where her, she's hung his pinpoint white button-down Oxford dress shirt. Okay. And he looks, and when he sees it, he sees what she didn't see, that the handles that she hung his shirt on are covered in rust. 
And so when he picks up and he closely, meticulously examines his favorite dress shirt, he sees that there are two lines down the front of the shirt that are orange-red rust marks. They'll be impossible to get out. And so he freaks out. And he yells at her and he punishes her severely and she cries and cries and cries. Now fast forward many years later and that young girl is now a middle-aged woman and she's talking to a Christian counselor about this moment in her life. And the counselor asked her, well, how, would you have, how do you think God would have handled that moment with a shirt? You know, with the wet shirt on the wheelbarrow. And she kind of thinks about it for a while and she says, well, I guess he would just sort of ignore the shirt and give me a hug. That's a good Christian answer. The, the counselor shakes his head and he says, I, I just don't think God would do that. I think God wouldn't just overlook the shirt. I think he'd put it on. He'd button it up. He'd wear it to work the next day. And then when everyone else sort of said, hey, uh, you, you missed a couple spots, he would say, let me tell you how much my daughter loves me. Can you believe it? I can't believe she did this for me. I am so in love with her. I love being around her. I just can't get enough of her. Listen, if you believe in Jesus this morning, God is bragging about you right now to all of his coworkers, the angels. <laughs> Do you realize that? Those perfect angelic beings who peer into human history, into your life, and into our feeble attempts to honor our parents, God is lifting their chin, looking into their eyes, and he's saying, let me tell you about my little girl. Let me tell you about that little guy right there and how much, and how much she and how much he deeply loves me. You see, the Father loves you. Your Father in heaven is so very proud of you. He's crazy about you. And he brags about our honor to heavenly beings wrapped in eternal light. Listen, if our insecure and immature parents know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts like love and wisdom to you? After all, God did not withhold his very best from us. His only begotten son, Jesus, he gave him up on a cross to die for us so that we could be adopted into the divine family and be the apple of his eye so that God could wrap us in a holy hug and he could lift our feet from the ground. And here's the truth. God would not, God cannot drop his children. Even at our most needy moments. Even in our worst behavior. The light of light. The very God of very God. King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God of glory and honor, God only wise, amen. That God has been looking high and he's been looking low and he has been searching since before the foundations of the world for you. Around every corner of his creation. Also, he could lift your chin and look into your eyes and ask the question we've been living to hear. You want to have a catch? I've got nothing but time for you and no place I'd rather be. Would you pray with me? Father, um, 
that's the gospel. That's, that's what people died for. <laughs> that's what you spent century after century telling people to write. And I'm so thankful for that. And I, and I just pray that you'd help our unbelief. Help mine. And would you help us to believe that you're that over-the-top generous? That we can't imagine the amount of wisdom and the amount of love that you have for us. Would you help bury that into our hearts and help us to rest our heads in you on your chest? Amen.